My name is Clint Harrison. I'm the campus pastor here at Grace, and we are in a series called The Kingdom. We've been walking through different parables in Matthew, and uh, today we're going to be in chapter 20, and we're going to be dialing through that parable in chapter 20. But before we, before we jump in, uh, I, w- I want to share a story in my life. So this is 16 years ago. Uh, my, me and my wife, Jean, we, were, we got married, and we were headed to our honeymoon, and I, if you haven't heard the story, um, my dad handed me a credit card. He's never done this ever in his life. He handed me a credit card and he said, spend whatever you want on it. And he said, go have fun. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you serious right now? Like, this is amazing. And so he booked a, a hotel for us in Hawaii. And so we went away, never been anywhere like that before. So ex- I can't tell you how excited I was to go to o- Oahu, Hawaii, really nice hotel. And he's just like, take the car, do whatever you want. And I was like, yes. So we get there and we had this meal. It was first meal there. It was at lunch and uh, it was like some kind of fish and it was in a salad. And I was like, man, this is so good. Like so beautiful out here. Fast forward, like 10 hours later. Okay. I get food poisoning. And I am wrecked, like throwing up like crazy. I'm not going to get all the details, but like super sick about two in the morning, first night there. And uh, second night, I'm sorry, second night there. I'm super sick. Okay. To the point where at four in the morning, I blacked out, couldn't see and was standing. I was in the middle of the bathroom and I fell over and hit my back and just laid out on the floor. And to the point where like half of my body was out of the bathroom and half of it was in the bathroom. And all I could do when I woke up was yell, help, help. And my wife wakes up and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, like what is happening? She starts losing. I'm like, just calm down. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to be okay. So she finally gets me up. I get up. She's like, do I call somebody? Do I call your mom? Like, who do we do? What do we do? We're newly married, you know? And, uh, and so I get out of it and I'm, I'm feeling awful. I, I was sick for like eight, nine hours, something like that. And uh, got out of it. I started feeling a little better, but still super weak. If you ever had food, food poisoning, it's terrible. And uh, so we're day three at this point. We had seven days there. And she's like, you feeling bad? I was like, no. So fast forward another day. I'm still not feeling good. She goes, I'm so frustrated with you right now. Like, how dare you get sick on our honeymoon? You know what I mean? Like all the things to the point where she's like, I mean, I want to go do something. Do you want to do something? I'm like, babe, I can't. Like, I feel terrible. I was like, I, I promise I'll like, I'll, I'll start, you know, getting with it. And so she goes, well, fine. I'm just going to order food in. And I was like, all right, cool, cool. You know, so she orders food in and they come in like, I mean, they're the full cart press, you know, they're pushing it out. They got the top, they, they release her meal and it's this beautiful grouper. And I immediately go, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, sweetheart, I'm so sorry, but you got to get out of here. She's like, are you serious? Like, I can't even eat in the room. I mean, it, was a, it was a rough week. I'll just say it like that. So it gets better though, okay? So we finish out. We're getting close to the last, uh, last day before we're about to leave. And we get on the beach. I'm feeling a little better. We come back. And I was like, oh man, where's my phone? And she's like, 
are you serious? You know, like another thing, awesome, you know? So I was like, I can't find my phone. I mean, we are looking everywhere for my phone. Can't find it, can't find it. This is pretty normal for me, especially at that stage of my life, okay? So if you don't know that about me, that's completely normal. Uh, so I lose my phone and like we're panicking a little bit, but she has hers, so whatever. We go to get on our flight the next day, okay? Listen to this. She gets a phone call, didn't, didn't answer, checks the voicemail. And she's listening to this voicemail, and I look at her, and it's like she went ghost white. And I was like, what's wrong? Like, why are you, why do you look like somebody just died, you know? And she's like, listen to this. She puts it on speaker, and it's this super creepy voice saying, hey, calling from Clint's phone over here. Heard you're on your honeymoon. You feeling any better? Heard you were a little sick. And I was like, I mean, literally, like, my hair was standing up. I'm, like, curling up in a hole. I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody's following us. And I just start to panic. And gives, like, more details that they shouldn't know. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, new husband, <laughs> like, protector, provider, all the things. I'm just like, I feel so scared and terrified right now. And I was like, well, I, I don't know what to do. Let's just get out of here. So, like, we bolt, get on the airplane. We're flying back. I'm like listening to this message, you know what I mean, again and again. And, uh, and so we get back home. And can I just tell you, as a, as a new husband, I'm like, somebody's following us. And I've got to take him out. Like, whoever it is. Like, that's what I'm thinking. And so we get back to our new, it, it's not new, it's a duplex, like 500 square foot. We're bustling in, you know. We get in there. I get out the bat. I'm not kidding, y'all. For 30 nights, I check the home, freaking out. Like checking every closet, checking every door, checking the windows. I mean, I am full on anxiety, okay? Just expecting somebody to break into our house one night who's been following us all the way from Hawaii, okay? I don't know, <laughs> really rational, you know, all the things. And so we get through it and I'm like, all right, I guess nobody's coming. But still in the back of my mind, it's there. And uh, six months later, okay, I'm hanging out with all my friends from Georgia youth pastors there from California, like we're all hanging out, we're catching up, we're talking about, and I was like, guys, and I start telling the story. I was like, y'all wouldn't believe this super creepy phone call. And I'm like, dude, I've been terrified out of my mind. I've been checking every closet with a bat at night, like doing this, you know, like, and I'm telling the whole story. And all of a sudden, like eight of them just start dying laughing. I'm like, guys, what's so funny? You know what I mean? Like, what are y'all laughing at? And the youth pastor goes, it was me. <laughs> And I was like, dude, I hate you right now. Like, I didn't want to talk to him for like a month. I was like, I cannot believe you. I was so surprised that it was my youth pastor. And he knew because I had been texting my buddies that I was terrified out of my mind. He just let it ride out. I was like, dude, you and me are not friends anymore. Like, I cannot believe you. Here's the thing. I was so surprised. The story today, as we jump into Jesus's parable, he's going to be talking about the topic of fairness. That's what he's going to discuss. And he is going to surprise all of his listeners. They are going to be like, what? How is this possible? And in the same way, if we apply this parable to our story, to our situation, to our lives, we are going to be super surprised as we flesh it out and as we think through this gospel, this parable. So let's jump in. We're in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 and following. This is Jesus, what he says. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like, and we've seen that every single week, right? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. So this is pretty typical. Vineyards and grapes were really popular, and they would have a harvest season where it would get really busy, okay? And so what they would do is they would go and hire people from six in the morning till six at night. So it's a 12-hour day, and they would pay you one denarius. It's a small silver coin, basically a day's wage. So that's the picture. It's the backdrop. So then let's keep going. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing. So three hours have passed. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went about noon and about three. And he went out again and did the same thing. He needed a lot of help. Again, as I was talking about, it was harvest time. It was like when, when, I, when I worked, I'll tell you a couple of jobs I've had kind of growing up. These are fun. I used to work at the Gap in the mall, all right? And, uh, and so when we were there during Christmas, they would hire like 15 additional workers because it was just so busy during that season. Just tons of sales, tons going on. So they would just hire people in. Same thing with lawn care. Like when I worked at a lawn business, they would hire a ton of people over the summer because they're just trying to get all of the work done. Same thing at car wash, hire a ton of people over the summer because people are flocking in to get their dirty cars washed. Many of you are in construction. You have these moments where you're like, man, I've got to get more workers. I need to finish this job. Do, who's temporary? Who's con- can I contract? All the things. You have this in many different fields. It's the same idea here. We've got so much to be done. We need to hire more people. And so he starts going around and saying, hey, come help me, come help me, come help me. But notice he says, I'll give you whatever is right or fair, okay? So they went to work, verse six. Then about five, he went and found others standing around. So this is the end of the day, okay? They've got one more probably hour left, so they're wrapping things up. There's one hour left, it's five to 12 hour day. So he says, then about five, he went out and found others standing around and saying to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because, and then their response is, because no one hired us, they said to him. It's interesting. You, I don't know all the pieces. If there was other vineyards, they were standing around all day and nobody would hire them. But here's the picture with the backdrop and the context that we have of Matthew. These people had been standing around and not being hired, most likely because they were not favored to be hired. They were feeble, weak, disabled. Something was off and they didn't want to hire those individuals. They were considered the weak ones, the outcasts. And he comes at the end of the day, five o'clock. There's like one hour's left of work. And he says, hey, what are y'all doing? Y'all come help me too. Let's finish the work. And they're like, okay, like, let's do it. Let's keep going. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. This was not typical of how they would pay people. Jesus is making a point to a parable, the story. In order for this parable and the story to make sense, you would start with the last and end with the first. And you'll see why. So verse 9. 
when those who were hired about five came, so these are the ones who had one hour's left of work, they came in, they each received one denarius. That's full day's work for one hour, all right? So when the first ones came, you notice he just skipped the three and the noon and the nine because it was all the same, basically. He's just summarizing at this point. He says, so when the first ones came, the ones who started the beginning of the day, who worked 12-hour shift, right? They assumed they would get more because the, the people who only worked one hour, man, they got a denarius, so what are we getting? This is going to be a great day. So excited about this, right? When they received it, oh, it says, sorry, verse 10. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. They're immediately like, what? Are you serious? Like, that's not fair. As a matter of fact, the word that they use there for complain, it's the same word used in Numbers chapter 14. If any of y'all are reading the Bible recap, you probably just read the story in Numbers. And, and here's the idea. The Israelites are out in the wilderness and they are complaining that they want to go back to Egypt where they were under the slavery of Pharaoh because they don't have what they want or what they think they should have in this new land. They're like, where's the milk and honey? Where's the blessed life? This isn't fun. And they're complaining. So when they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. Are you serious, Jesus? Are you serious, landowner, right? That's not fair. What's happening? As a matter of fact, I was talking to one of my buddies recently, and he said his son is in that stage. I don't know if y'all have kids that are in the stage where everything that happens, that's not fair. Like, oh my gosh, that's not fair. Everything, like whether it's a treat and somebody else gets a different treat, that's not fair. Well, she got to go to bed later. That's not fair. Like everything is not fair, right? That's the picture. Like, what are you doing, landowner? And if you notice, they had two complaints in this in these last couple of verses. The first one was the hour difference from one to 12. They only worked one hour. I remember working, uh, I, I had somebody call, I played football and I worked out with a bunch of guys way bigger than me, way stronger than me, okay, but we were buddies. We got a phone call from somebody who was moving 500 pound flower pots. Like I'll never forget it. They were ginormous, fit trees in them basically. And they were filled, like, with soil. I mean, we're talking, like, you couldn't, you couldn't get around them. They were just huge. They wanted us to move them onto a truck, next place, unload them. They had dollies, but it didn't really, I mean, it was a massive job. So there was, like, four or five of us, okay? Three of us started at 10 o'clock that day. One guy showed up the last hour to help finish. And the pay, the payout was great. It was like a three-hour job. We got paid 150 bucks, something like that. The last guy got the same pay. And I remember thinking, like, that's not right. Like, like how about half, bro? You know what I mean? Like, anyway, I, I get it. Like, the, the pay and the hour difference, man, it, it matters. The other difference that they're complaining about is they're saying, man, we work through the heat of the day, and they show up in the last hour when it's cooler, and then they work one hour. Like we bore not just hours wise, but like our labor was way harder. 
Like, what are we talking about? Are you serious right now? They're complaining. And I, I, I just think about, like, I'm just going to take my own story at Grace, okay? I just want you all to hear this. We looked for eight, nine months um, for the office space that we have now with the large group space and everything. And we went through, uh, we had one in Oviedo that I thought was going to land. It didn't work. It didn't work out. And so we're continually looking. I found a couple other spots. And we actually went through with one agent all the way through the paperwork. He was like, yeah, as soon as this sale happens, you're going to get it. Owners dialed in. Whenever they made the sale, the owner contacted our agent and said, yeah, we don't want a church in there. Like, you can't have it. We had waited three months at that point. And I was like, I'm going to go crazy, you know? And I, I was sitting there talking to God about it, like, what are you doing? Like, we're asking, we're seeking, we're doing all the work, we're putting all the effort in. And God's just like, wait, wait. And finally, we had two more renditions of that. Finally, we landed at a place across the street. And it is so much better than all of the other places. If he was, he was just saying, hey, Clint, would you trust me? Like, do you trust me? Do you believe that I've, I've got you? And I was going, no, Lord, I don't. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, in, in my internal heart. And then we got a place, you can see, we'll go ahead and show you the video. Um, it is way closer. It's like down the street. It's way nicer. And our landlord has been awesome. Uh, and so we are officing out of there. We've got all of us that have different offices. We've got a conference room. Uh, we have two counseling rooms throughout the week so we can do counseling. Uh, on the other side, we've got a large space where we are doing classes, where we can do men's and women's theology, where we can do Next Steps weekend. Uh, like it has been an incredible, incredible thing. Um, and so we've been super excited about the space. But if God had just said, hey, would you trust me if I could just trust him without seeing what we would have, man, it would be so much of a better place in my heart that I would have joy and peace. And that's what God constantly does in our lives is he constantly says, hey, will you trust me? Will you believe in me? Even when things don't seem right or fair or helpful, like God's saying, I've got you all the way, all the way. And so, yeah, that's, that's men's theology. So super Super excited uh, about our space, but God's just constantly doing that in my heart. So I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? I, I want to turn this for you, all right? What are you waiting on right now and complaining over? Like, think about that in your life. What is it? God is saying, trust me. God is saying, trust me, whatever it is. Even though it doesn't make sense, even though it doesn't seem fair or right, God's saying, I'm with you. If you're a Christian in here and you're a follower of Jesus, I've got you. Trust me. I want to I bring the other side to this because what are they doing? They're comparing. Like, hey, they over there, they got something that we didn't get, right? Who are you comparing yourself to? Like, think about that where you're complaining and you're bitter and you're angry and you're frustrated. I'll tell you an area that God has continually wrecked me over and spoken to me as I think about comparison, as I think about performance, as I think about life in job, home, 
all the areas, right? It's this idea of character over competency. And I, I love this. This is a quote, and I don't remember who I got it from, but he says this, work twice as hard on your character than your competency. This is something we try to instill in our kids as much as we can. Because we are, I, I am and my wife, we're both winners. We want to be anyways. We're not always winners, but we want to be winners. We want to compete. We want to win. We want to move the ball forward. We, want, we like results across all, all things. And so with that in mind, like what we're trying to teach our daughters is not to be like us all the time, but instead to have a good attitude when you don't win. Like character over competency, right? Rejoicing with others who succeed. These people in this story, they're not rejoicing that other people are receiving pay as well. They're just going, man, why do they get it? I don't like them. I hate them. And who are you, landowner? And really, this is a picture of us with God. Like, you're going to let them into the kingdom? You're going to say that they're good? You're going to forgive them after what they did? How dare you, God? Who are you, right? Instead, rejoicing with those who are going to enter in the kingdom, even though they don't deserve it because you don't deserve it either, right? So rejoicing with others who succeed is character over competency. Patient when you have to wait. Teaching myself and my kids, okay, it's good and right to be patient. God is using this time to refine us. Being respectful to others is so much more important than winning all the time, right? God, do that work in me. Do that work in us, this character over competency. Jesus continues to flip the script. He continues to do an upside down kind of mindset, kind of kingdom, kind of job ethic, kind of home. He just constantly challenges us in this way. I, I, I mean, I'll give you an honest scenario. This happened yesterday. Love it when I get to share broken stories in my life that are super recent, right? So we're on the way. It's my daughter's track meet. She's never done one on a Saturday, so we're headed there. And we're in the van, all loaded up, all four kids, a lot going on constantly as we drive and about to hit the heat for the day, right? And as they're talking in the back, Gene and I get sideways on something. And honestly, I can't even remember what it was. It was something that didn't matter. And I disagreed with her, and my pride kicked in, and I could feel myself getting angry. And we kind of went back and forth a little bit, said, said, said something back and forth, and I could just sense like, you're about to lose your temper. And I just stopped and I was sitting there thinking about the moment and I was going, this is not what this is about. And this isn't worth it. My daughter's about to run her first high school race and she's in middle school. You need to calm down. This is not about you and your pride and you need to stop. And I'm sitting there, I don't know, I don't know. You're, you're probably not like me, you're better than me, but I'm like clenching the steering wheel. You know, like, oh my gosh, like breathe. You know what I mean? And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, God, like, help me out here, you know, and I, I, it passed, and we got off, and we had a great day, and, and here's the thing that I have to tell myself. Me winning this argument and having a sense of pride matters nothing in comparison to how my daughters are going to feel based on how we respond to each other and how their day is going to matter and how they're going to reflect about all these things. Your character matters way more than the results or the pride or the things that you think you should have, right? 
How you treat, let me just say it this way, how you treat your spouse over the years is way more important than hitting the top tier sales at your job. Way more important. Build that into the years in your marriage as opposed to your job. Like, I'm not saying don't go for results at your career. I'm saying having the fruit of the Spirit in the way that you parent, work, everything matters way more than hitting all your markers that you think are so important in your life. Having a a life of joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, way more important, way more important. And that's what we see continually. Jesus just flips it. But I, I just want to challenge you for a second. Even as I say this, do you actually believe that? Like, do you believe in this upside down kind of kingdom? Like when I say that your character matters more than your competency, is there a party that's like, yeah, okay, pastor. Like, cool, cool. I mean, I hear you, but tomorrow I got to hit it, right? Like I got to get after it. There's people barreling down on me. That's, I'm going to say back to you, cool, cool, cool. There's a family that you're called to love. And there are individuals and employees you are called to respect. And I would say that matters more. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so you work those things out, but... Yeah, do you believe that? Because Jesus is surprising us. He's going to continue to do it. Verse 13, he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. He's responding to the ones who are complaining like, hey, how dare you give them that pay and give us the same pay? We deserve more. That's not right. That's not fair. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Like that was your, that was the deal. Take what's yours and go. Go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Listen to this language. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? There's this sovereignty to God in this story. He's saying, hey, this is mine to give. It's not yours to give or take from me. I hand it out freely and I choose, right? Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Then he asks the question, are you jealous? Other translations, do you have an evil eye? It's the same word used in Matthew 6, 28, where he says a good eye is healthy, but an evil eye is unhealthy. And it wrecks the entirety of your life. So are you jealous because I'm generous? I just want to throw a scenario out. If I had $5 million and I won the lottery last week, Okay, let's just say that happened. Maybe it did. You don't know, right? And so I got $5 million. All right, I show up here today, and I decide to pick five people out of this room to give each $1 million. You want to play this? You're kind of curious if I won, right? So let's just say I picked five, though. Yeah, somebody's like me over here, like dialed in just in case. Uh, but, I, but I pick five. Is it my right to hand that money out? Am I doing anyone else wrong by not giving you the money? Some of y'all are like, uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. You don't know my story, bro. Like, right? But I'm not. I wouldn't be. I'm free to give out because it's my money. It's something that I got. So that's the same picture. He's saying, hey, isn't this mine? This is my right. And really the story is reflecting God as the landowner. And that God hands out grace in really surprising ways. 
to people that you wouldn't expect, to people who haven't, in your eyes, earned it or deserve it or look like they should get it or receive it. As a matter of fact, when you look at them, you're like, man, I I should get it, not them, right? I should be in the kingdom, not them. They're broken and I'm not okay, right? But we think that way at times. And really, that's a really dangerous place to be. I want you to think about this. Think about how dangerous that is. If this is reflecting God and his kingdom, you know what we're doing? We're placing ourselves in the place of God. We're literally recreating the garden at the beginning where Adam and Eve are like, yeah, yeah, we heard you, but we're gonna do it our own way because we think we know better than you, God. We don't believe in your wisdom. We don't trust in your way or your life. We're going to create our own story, our own scenario. That is a really dangerous place to be. That's where brokenness began. That's where the fall started. That's when death and all these terrible things happen. And what happens is, is when we think we know better than him, it creates jealousy, competition in ways that aren't helpful, envy, bitterness, complacency, gossip. We begin to hate God and others. All of a sudden, God's like, I'm freely giving this to you. And all of a sudden, you're turning on God and going, God, how dare you? Now God's on the docket. He's in the courtroom and you're the judge. What? He's saying, this was my right. I freely chose to give these people just like I gave you. How dare you? Right? That's, that's the picture here. The reality is, I, 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 D.A. Carson said this, and I didn't get the exact quote, but this is basically what he said. The reality is we do not, as humans, we don't want instantaneous justice with God. We don't. No one does. You know why? Because fair is eternity in hell. We're all far from God. We're all broken. We're all sinners. We have sinned against a holy, righteous, and just God. And it would be fair for him to send all of us to hell. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He chooses to save and to love and to send his son to die on a cross in our place. To pay for us. To love us. To care for us. To do incredible work in us. And so his grace, man, it's super surprising. Verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last, which is kind of the driver of the story. He's been saying this over and over in Matthew. The last will be first and the first last. Jesus says it will be surprising who gets into the kingdom and who doesn't. I think of Matthew chapter, I think it's six or seven. He says, Lord, Lord, they're crying out. And he says, hey, I never knew you. Like you did some really cool things. You did some good deeds. You may have even healed people. You've done some miraculous stuff, but you don't know me. I don't know you. Like you're not a part of the kingdom and we're gonna be shocked and surprised. That should make us pause and question like, where do I stand with God? Do I really fully understand who God is and what he's doing, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus, uh, excuse me, the scriptures throughout do this. It's totally backwards, it seems like. God consistently elevates things that we wouldn't. Take the birthright in the Old Testament. What does God do? He elevates the younger over the older. The older person is supposed to get the inheritance, the birthright, all the blessings. And what does he do again and again? He has Abel, the younger, 
he elevates him over Cain. Isaac, the younger, instead of Ishmael. Jacob over Esau. He continually elevates and says, hey, this is an upside down kind of way. When they go to look for a king, eight, seven sons are laid out. And they go to choose the king and they go through each son, ones that are really tall, handsome, good looking, have all the skills for a king, pass, 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 all through seven sons. Do you have anybody else? What? You just passed seven, the oldest all the way down? Yeah, we do actually have one more redheaded, ruddy kid, shepherd boy. He'll be back from the fields in a little bit. He comes out, it's King David. Hey, that's the guy. Total surprise. No one's expecting it. That's going to be our king, right? God does this over and over and over again. In our context and to these verses, it's those we think who are responsible, who have, who have earned their life, who have done good things. They're the ones who get in the kingdom. He says, actually, I'm going to shock you. The last will be first and the first will be last in the kingdom. Like it's a surprising thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it this way. We baptized 39 individuals, okay, this past week, which is awesome. I, 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 can, I can shout out for that. Across all campuses, 39 individuals. And one of the things that we ask um, whenever we're talking to people who are wanting to get baptized, we ask them questions like, you know, how do you get to heaven? Like, how do you get saved? And it's just a basic question. Make sure they understand the gospel. And I can tell you, man, I've asked this at um, restaurants. I've asked this in offices. I've asked it in bars over the years, evangelizing. I've asked this question in multiple different places, okay? And you wouldn't believe all the answers I have gotten. How do I get saved and what does it mean, like, to get to heaven? And so I've, I've heard multitude of answers, but here's a few. Your good has to outweigh your bad, generally speaking. I'm like, okay, cool, that seems fair, you know. Um, no, I'm joking, by the way. Uh, not to do big sins, like as long as you don't do really big sins. And what's fascinating is whenever I ask them what's a big sin, they're all different. Like uh, this over here, like it could be cheating on a test. It could be killing someone. It, I mean, it could be all kinds of what is a big sin, right? Another, there's multiple avenues, Clint. There's Buddha, there's Krishna, there's Hinduism. Like the, all roads lead to heaven. So I just pick one and I'll get saved. Okay. It's not right, but yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, attend church and tithe. If I'm doing that faithfully, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to get saved. Say a prayer and get baptized. And then if I don't come for 10 years, no big deal, right? If I don't pray anymore, if I hit my one time, I'm in, right? That's the picture. I just want to ask you, how would you answer that question? Like, how would you answer that question? What saves you? What changes you? What gives you life? What I would have said growing up is that, man, if I stay pretty good kid, I'll get there. And what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, no, it's actually, it's grace. It's not by your works. It's not by what you do. It's not the performance that you bring to the table. Grace is unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor. It's not something that we earn. It's something that God freely offers through his son. 
You can never do enough to be right with God. You can't pray enough. You can't do right things enough. You can't be kind enough. You can't be pleasant enough. It's only through faith in Jesus, believing that he died in your place to pay for your sins. And so Jesus is coming in. He's saying, hey, listen, the last will be first. I know you think performance. I know you think you worked really hard. I know you think you earned this. I know you think you went all the way and way better than everybody else. And as you compare, you're like, I'm pretty good. That's not the point. You're missing it. I'm going to invite people into my kingdom that you don't think deserve it. And here's the reality. You don't deserve it either. It's only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you're saved. And so that's, that's his point. He's surprisingly gracious to us all. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We praise you. We, we, we thank you so much that your grace is enough in our lives. God, I pray that as this story challenges us, God, to think about our comparing and our own works before you, God, that we would see that we can't bring anything to the table that will make us right with you. And really that doesn't change as Christians either. God, that we don't continue to perform so that you'll love us more, but that you love us enough in Christ already. Let that shape us, challenge us, and change us and mold us and make us into your image. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.